Let's take your Bible this morning and turn with me, if you will. Uh, we will be in Exodus chapter 20. And we've been focused in recent weeks on the mysteries of the Ten Commandments. And today we come to commandment number six. And finally, we've come to an easy one. Uh, uh, Exodus chapter 20, verse 13, very short, simple verse. The Bible says, do not murder. Now we say that that is easy, but we say that tongue in cheek because if you've been a part of this series or know much about the Ten Commandments, you know uh, that as we dig a little deeper into these commandments, some of them that sound very, very simple, we discover that there's much more to this. In fact, this commandment, do not murder, the sixth commandment can be one of the most difficult commandments. And if we're just honest, this is something that we often struggle with on a daily basis. Today, I want us to learn all that God means when he says, do not murder. Now, as we've, as we've focused on the Ten Commandments in recent weeks, we've learned some important lessons. First, we learned that the commandments are not the pathway to have a right relationship with God. Though many people think this is how you have a right relationship with God, it is not. These commandments were given to those who already had a right relationship with God, and they had that relationship because they had trusted God, because they had surrendered to God, because they had followed God, and God gave them these commandments so that they would know how to honor him as God's children. The second thing we learned is that the Ten Commandments are mostly about putting God first and taking him everywhere that God ought to be the first priority in our lives and that he ought to be a part of every part of our lives. Put him first and take him everywhere. Last week, we talked about taking the Lord's name in vain. And we said that to, to, to refuse to take the Lord's name in vain means that we refuse to live a life of hypocrisy, that our lives must back up the banner that we hold over our lives, that we should live through and through like the Christians that we claim to be. Now, today we're going to talk about murder, and then over the next two weeks, if the Lord allows, we're going to expand on two more of the mysteries of the Ten Commandments. But let's just take that simple verse, do not murder. What does that mean? Well, it's obviously a prohibition against something, do not, and it says we shouldn't murder. Now, murder is a very good translation of the original Hebrew word that's here. It says that we shouldn't murder, that we shouldn't take innocent life. Uh, now, some of you are using a King James Bible, which is a great translation of scripture, but you'll notice that there is a difference there in that Bible. Instead of saying, do not murder, your Bible may read, do not kill. Now, that's not inaccurate, but it's not very precise. And because of that word kill instead of murder, oftentimes this verse has been misunderstood through the years. And people have suggested that this verse says that you can't support capital punishment, or this verse suggests that you can't fight in a war, or maybe this verse suggests that you can't enjoy a steak or a barbecue sandwich. But this verse isn't talking about any of those things. It says, do not murder. Now, before we get into the deeper application of this, let's, let's just camp here a while and see if we can figure out exactly what is included 
under the umbrella of murder and what is not included under the umbrella of murder. Can we do that? First of all, the things that are not included here. Number one, it does not include capital punishment. Now you may have your opinions about capital punishment and how it is applied in a just uh, civilization or society and, and that would be the focus of another message. But when the Bible talks about capital punishment, it uses an entirely different word than what we see here in Exodus 20, 13. This is not talking about capital punishment. In fact, if you were to just to turn over one chapter in your Bible, chapter 21, Exodus 21, verse 12, the Bible says, whoever strikes a person so that he dies, he must be put to death. The Bible says, if you kill, then you should be killed. We're going to see that again in a moment or two in another verse. You can't say that Exodus 20, 13 forbids capital punishment. Now, another thing it does not include is war, just war. In fact, Deuteronomy chapter 20, verses 10 through 13, we'll not read it. You can read it on your own, but it tells us that it is a proper thing to fight in a just war. Uh, also excluded from this term murder is self-defense. There will be a time perhaps uh, that a person may have to use deadly force in order to protect themselves or to protect their family. And if you do that, that is a proper exercise of deadly force. In fact, if you go two chapters from Exodus 20 to Exodus 22 verse 2, the Bible says as much. It says, if a thief is caught in the act of breaking in and he is beaten to death, no one is guilty of bloodshed. And so if somebody breaks into your home and you are protecting yourself and your family, then you can do what you need to do. Now, if we can avoid it, certainly we should. In fact, many people who will quote Exodus 22:2 fail to quote the next verse, verse 3, which says, but if this happens after sunrise, the householder is guilty of bloodshed. Meaning that if there is a way that you can escape, if there is a way you can avoid killing somebody, then certainly you should avoid it. But if it is impossible, it is a just thing to kill somebody in order to protect your life or the lives of those around you. So self-defense is not included. Another thing that's not included is the killing of animals. We'll see that in a moment in Genesis 9, 6. Just wait, we'll get to that verse. But the Bible teaches that this only includes the killing of people. The murder of people is what is in view in Exodus 20, 13. So those are the things that are excluded. Let's talk about the things that are included. First of all, obviously, the unlawful taking of innocent life. Uh, we're going to see it again in, in Genesis 9, 6 when we get there in a moment. Uh, but this is talking about don't take innocent life. Another thing that's included in this command is self-murder. We call that suicide, uh, but it is really self-murder. The Bible said it is wrong to murder somebody, and that's true whether the somebody is somebody else or the somebody is yourself. It is always wrong to murder somebody. Uh, also included is to be an accessory to murder. And we see that in 2 Samuel 12, 9. You can read it for yourself. If you facilitate a murder, then that's murder. Uh, also included is the failure to use authority to prevent murder. 
We see that in 1 Kings 21. If you could have stopped someone from murdering and you fail to do that, you don't use the authority that you have to stop a murder, then you're guilty of murder. So the Bible says, do not murder. Now we know that, that's not a surprise to anybody. So the question is, why? Why is it so bad to murder somebody? Why is it, why is it so bad that God would give this instruction of capital punishment? That if you murder, then you should be killed because of that. Why does God take this so seriously? Why is worship, I'm sorry, murder, such a terrible thing? I don't know if you will remember, but you probably, it most likely was reported here. When I lived in Ohio a few years ago, in fact, this was in May of 2016, in the Cincinnati Zoo, uh, there was a four-year-old boy uh, who somehow got in an enclosure uh, for Harambe, a 17-year-old, 400-pound Western lowland gorilla. Did you hear about that in the news here in Texas? And uh, when the authorities uh, found out about it, you know, very quickly, uh, this, uh, this gorilla was just tossing this little boy around like a rag doll. And so they shot and killed the gorilla to save the life of the boy. Now, I think to most right-thinking people, that obviously was the right decision. Uh, but there was a lot of criticism for the zoo. And, and I remember even hearing somebody saying, well, those parents should have paid closer attention to where that little boy was. Was it the gorilla's fault? It was the boy's fault or the parent's fault. And, you know, you know I, I don't know, perhaps the parents should have been paying better attention, but, but it is a no brainer. The life of the boy was worth many, many million times more than the life of the gorilla. So why was it proper to kill an animal to save a little boy? Why is murder so bad? Well, the answer, we see the prohibition in, in Exodus 20, 13. But the answer to why is really found in the first giving of this commandment, which is Genesis 9-6. And I think I can show this to you on the screen. Genesis 9-6. I may not have that for you, but let me read it to you. It's very simple. It says, whoever sheds human blood, by humans, his blood will be shed. And so if you shed human blood, by humans, your blood should be shed. But listen to how the verse ends. For God made humans in his image. Why is murder such a big deal? Because people are made in the image of God. The reason why we are valuable, the reason why I'm valuable and you're valuable is because we're created in the image of God. Now, what is the image of God? What does that mean? Well, the Bible says in Genesis 1:26, God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. God said, I want to create man and I want to put in him my image. God has put within each of us something of his image. And that's what gives us value. Now, we don't know precisely uh, what God means when he says in his image, uh, people have debated this for a number of years. Theologians say that there are at least three categories of things. There's the substantive category. Uh, theologians use that word to refer to things that have just been passed down to us like a father will pass down traits to his natural born children. And, and maybe things like our volition or our intellect or our curiosity or our communication that many of the things that we have just in a sense, look like 
attributes that God has. And uh, so in that sense, we're made in the image of God. Uh, Some theologians use the word relational, that maybe when it says that we're creating the image of God, it's talking about the fact that we have the capacity to have a relationship with the triune God. I can have a relationship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. My my puppy dog can't. Uh, Our cat can't. A fish cannot. Uh, But we can. That's something that is to be created in the image of God. Some people have suggested that it's functional, uh, that we have been given uh, dominion over the earth. Uh, And and that is a a picture, really, of God, God's dominion over creation. But with all of those things, uh, the Bible says repeatedly that we have been created in the image of God. And Genesis 9, 6 says the reason murder is so terrible is exactly that. We have been created in the image of God. It's his image in us that makes us valuable. So what do we do? When we read this command, do not murder, what does that mean specifically that you and I should do? If we're not to murder because people have been created in the image of God, what do we do? Well, let's see how Jesus applied this passage. Because it means much more than just don't shoot your neighbor. I mean, please don't shoot your neighbor. But it means much more than that. And we see when Jesus approached this commandment, and we see how Jesus interpreted and applied this commandment, we can see that he's talking about we should honor the image of God in the people around us. Listen to how Jesus said it. Matthew 5, 21. You have heard that it was said to our ancestors, do not murder. Jesus said, you've heard it said... The commandment, the sixth commandment, do not murder. And whoever murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, everyone who is angry with his brother or sister will also be subject to judgment. And he goes on to say some other things that we'll look at in a moment. Jesus said, you know the commandment, do not murder. But the application goes far beyond murdering. It includes don't dishonor the value of a person because that person has been created in the image of God. Now we're gonna come back to the specific words that Jesus spoke in a moment or two, but I want you to see how he interpreted this. He took the command, do not murder, and he said the reason why is because we're creating the image of God. Genesis 9, 6 says that murder, don't, image of God. He says, therefore, that should impact how we treat other people. Now, we're going to get to the specifics of what he said, but let's take that same mode of interpretation and application that Jesus used, and let's see how we apply this to our lives. What do we do when the Bible says, do not murder? Three things. Number one, how do we honor the image of God? We must defend life. The first thing, and we would be wrong not to say this today, the first thing this means is we must be defenders of life because life is valuable. Life is not valuable because of its stage of development. Do you know that? I mean, life is not valuable because a person is fully developed. Life is valuable because a person is created in the image of God. Life is not valuable because somebody is wanted or somebody is planned or somebody has been chosen. No, life is valuable because we've been created in the image of God. 
Life is not valuable because that life is convenient for us. Life is not valuable because a person has a certain IQ or is free from physical or mental challenges or has a certain life expectancy. No, life is valuable because all of us have been created in the image of God. Now, all those statements I just gave are statements that are commonly used for people to justify or to seek to justify killing unborn babies in our country. And we've got to understand that the killing of an unborn baby is to deny that unborn baby's value, and it is to deny that all people have been created in the image of God. People will say, well, the unborn baby can be killed because it's not fully developed. Well, but you're not valuable because you're developed. You know, a six-year-old is not fully developed. A 16-year-old is not fully developed. I know 66-year-olds that aren't fully developed. <laughs> your, your stage of development does not determine your value. It's determined because you've been created in God's image. People will say, well, the pregnancy was not planned. Well, you're not valuable because you were planned or wanted or chosen, but because God has put his image in you. People will say, well, I'm not ready to have a child. Well, your convenience does not make you valuable. You're valuable because you've been created in the image of God. People say, well, my child, if he is born or if she is born may have some congenital birth defect or some other physiological challenge. Well, maybe, but you are not valuable because you have a high IQ or a long life expectancy. We're valuable because we've been created in the image of God. And murder, abortion, is the murder of a person who's created in the image of God. And there's no proper biblical justification for that, except perhaps uh, if, if the mother's life is in danger, and, and then only because she too has been created in the image of God. But anything short of that, certainly there's no justification for snuffing out a person who is valuable because they've been created in God's image. In order for us to be obedient to the command, do not murder, we must defend life. We must take a stand where God leads us to take a stand. We must vote to reflect the value we believe the image of God has. We must support adoption. We can't tell these young ladies that they should not abort their children because their children are valuable, but then turn our backs on them when they do have the children and they can't handle the child. If we believe, if we believe they're valuable, let us step up and, and take those children. We should support adoption and we should pray for those who are on the front line of this battle often. Uh, our heartbeat ministry here in Nacogdoches is one of the finest heartbeat ministries I'm aware of. Uh, I heard a story, and many of you were at the same meeting I was in, uh, but heard a story and saw a young lady uh, who about a year and a half ago uh, was going to abort her child. And uh, the people ministering, the volunteers at the Heartbeat Ministry uh, shared with her a sonogram picture of that child and talked about how that child was created in the image of God. 
And that lady decided that she would value the image of God. She decided to have that baby. And we got to see that baby in this meeting a few weeks ago. It is amazing the work that they're doing. And every week they're talking to young ladies in our community uh, who are considering abortion. And we should pray for our heartbeat ministry. We should pray for our judges and our governmental leaders that when they have an opportunity to stand for life, that they will. That they'll be courageous and bold and never compromise in that. And we should pray for our college ministry that is on the front lines, uh, maybe more than any other ministry in our church, on the front lines of dealing with people who are actively having to make this decision about whether or not to abort a child. Uh, if we are going to obey the sixth commandment, we must defend life. Number two, if we're going to obey the sixth commandment, we must care for people. We must care for people. Uh, now, I want to go back and read to you what Jesus said in Matthew 5. And I, I stopped short of the whole passage last time, but let's, let's read on. He says, you have heard that it was said to our ancestors, do not murder. And, and whoever murders will be subject to the judgment. But I tell you, everyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. So he talks about anger. Whoever insults his brother or sister will be subject to the court. And whoever says, you fool, will be subject to hellfire. So he says uh, that the command says do not murder, but the application in your life is don't be angry, don't be insulting, and don't be unkind toward others. And when I was studying this this week, something occurred to me that I've never really thought about before. Maybe you have. But oftentimes when the Bible is telling us how to love people, it tells us to first look into ourselves and recognize something in here. And as we recognize something in ourselves, then we'll be able to in turn properly love people around us. I'll give you some examples. Luke 6.31, Jesus says, just as you want others to do for you, do the same for them. That's the golden rule. Look and see how you want other people to treat you. And when you see that, because you want to be treated with kindness and respect and love, when you see how people ought to treat you, then that will inform how you treat other people. Mark 12, 31 uh, he's talking about love. He's talking about commandments. He says, the second commandment is this, love your neighbor as yourself. He said, look and see how you want to be loved. And now let that inform how you love other people. I'll give you another example. Ephesians 5, 28 and 29. He says, in the same way, husbands uh, are to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself for no one ever hates his own flesh, but provides and cares for it. He says, men, you want to know how to love your wife? Look at the love that you desire, and then you give that love to somebody else. Now, here's, here's a common thread that I think runs through that. We ought to look and see our own value. We ought to recognize that we have been created in the image of God. And when we see that we've been created in the image of God, then we should then turn and see that that is also true of the people around us. And, and I think that I should be treated with kindness because I've been created in the image of God. And so I ought to work hard to see that same image in the lives of people around us. I'll give you some examples. Uh, if there is a person who just grates on you, 
because of their attitude, their beliefs, or their character? Do you know some people like that? When you see them coming, your, your blood pressure goes up and, and, and your, your anger flares uh, because you just know things and they grate on you because of that. Well, don't look at them as a person who necessarily has those attitudes, beliefs, and character, but recognize that that's a person who has been created in the image of God and love them because of their true value instead of despising them because of their attitude, belief, and character. If somebody has hurt you or offended you, what should you do? Well, you should recognize that, that you have been created in the image of God and so have they. And instead of seeing that person as, hey, that's the person that's offended me, if you see them that way, you're going to mistreat them. But see them as, hey, that's a person who's been created in the image of God. And you will treat them with kindness. Uh, we, we should do this when we see people of a different race. Uh, people who look different than us. People who might have different customs that we have. You, know, you can oftentimes see how people struggle with this by the labels that they use. Uh, and, and I think we're all guilty of this at, at some level. We'll say, well, those are black people, or those are white people, or those are Mexican people, or those are Arab people. Well, no, those are people created in the image of God. Well, let's don't give somebody a label that supersedes the most important thing about them. They've been created in the image of God. Let's don't treat them according to some worldly label. Let's treat them according to that label. They are people created in God's image. Let's think about that when we have somebody of a different worldview, a different religion, a different lifestyle. Let's think about that when we encounter rich people or poor people. They're not any of those things. They are first... People create in the image of God, and we should treat them as such. Uh, last, uh, last week, two weeks ago, I spent some time with my mom. She lives in Alabama. She's recovering from some surgery and some medical difficulties, and I wanted to spend some time with her. And one of the things that I've noticed, and I've noticed this a thousand times every time I go to her home, uh, she has all these little trinkets sitting around. And you may, this may be true of you too, but these little ceramic things and, I don't know, birds and salt shakers and, I mean, just all kind of, I don't know if she's listening or not, okay? So, just junk. I mean, it's just everywhere. <laughs> she treats them with just, I mean, like it's the most valuable thing in the world. All this stuff sitting there. And you got it at your house too, right? And so, uh, why, do you, why do you think she treats those little knickknacks with such care and, and reverence almost? Well, not because they have any real value. You, you couldn't box them up and sell them for anything. Not because they're even very attractive as ornaments for your home. I mean, it's a motif that's about 75 years old. You know what I mean? I mean, you, you wouldn't go to the home store now and buy something like that. Uh, so so she, she doesn't value them because they're pretty. She values them for one reason. They belong to her parents and her grandparents. That's what makes those things valuable to her. And one day those things will clutter up my house <laughs> and they'll be valuable to me there because what they stand for. So when you see somebody, you should recognize that their value is not in their attitude or whether they've been nice to you or their, their, their value is connected to the one thing 
they've been created in the image of God. And when you can hold on to that, that'll change your whole attitude. Can I tell you something that happened this morning? I decided early this morning to go and get a sausage biscuit. I won't tell you where. So I went through a drive-through window and I was in a hurry. And so I got up to the drive-through window and the lady said, uh, sir, we have uh, rebooted our computer. It's just going to be a moment or two. So I, I, I stay there. I'm a preacher. I've got to be, you know, polite and patient. And so about five minutes later, she comes back. There's a whole line of cars behind me. And they're all mad at me, of course, but I'm just sitting there. Um, and she says, uh, sir, I don't know how much longer it's going to take to reboot the computer. Uh, if you don't mind, I'll just take your credit card. She had a scrap piece of paper. She said, I'll just write down all of your information and I'll just charge you later today. And I thought, no, I don't think I want to do that. Uh, I said, but I've got cash. Can I just pay you cash? Can you make change? And she said, oh, oh yeah, I can make change. I mean, we, we should have mentioned that, you know, a long time ago. So, so I gave her a $5 bill. I think it was like two twenty-six is what the, what the biscuit cost with tax. And uh, so she takes, she closed the window again and and I could tell she's, uh, she, she's going through, she's got a little cash drawer there and I could see her pulling out bills and she put them back and then she pulled them out again. And, and then she left the window and I, didn't, I thought, where, where's she going now? And, <laughs> and uh, I don't know, it was probably, I mean, it seemed like 30 minutes, probably about 60 seconds later, she, I see her walking back to the window. Now she's got a, uh, a uh, calculator. And so she's doing the math, and I don't know how many buttons she pushed on that, but she could have done my taxes. <laughs> so many buttons. At this point, I am, um, you know, I'm pretty, I'm pretty upset. I'll just be honest with you. I mean, here is a, here's a young lady. First of all, she is mathematically challenged, and she just doesn't get the concept of a drive through window. I, I didn't come through the drive through window because I was too lazy to get out of my car. I was in a hurry. And so finally, she opens the window and gives me the wrong change. But that's okay. She can keep the extra dime. Uh, she worked hard for it. <laughs> she, she should get it. But you know, there, there was a, a, a little transformation that happened in my heart while I'm watching her do my taxes. The Lord reminded me, there is a lady, though mathematically challenged, but there is a lady who has been created in the image of God. She's not valuable because she can count my chains or hand me a sausage biscuit. No, her value in that is that she was created by the king and he put his image in her. And when, when God reminded me of that, thank the Lord I was preaching on this today. <laughs> It completely changed my attitude toward her. And I thanked her for the wrong change. And she told me to have a good day. I told her to have a good day. And now I'm here, okay? <laughs> I'm telling you, if we could just hold on, if we could just remember that, that the people around us have been created in the image of God, it would change how we treat people. That's what Jesus is saying in Matthew 5, uh, 21 through 22. Now, uh, one more thing. If we're creating the image of God, we will share I'm sorry, if we're going to honor the image of God in people's lives, we will share the good news. 
we will share the good news. What does it mean, do not murder? It means to share the good news. Uh, if, if people have been creating the image of God and they are valuable because of that, and we have good news for them, we know how they can avoid hell and embrace heaven. We know how they can be forgiven. Then we should share with them what we know. To fail to share, listen to this, to fail to share the good news is akin to murder. Now, you might think, Pastor, that's a strong statement. I think that goes beyond what the Bible says, but you would be wrong. Listen to Ezekiel 33.8. And and this is a part of a longer passage. I would encourage you to go read it. But Ezekiel 33.8 says this, if I say to the wicked, and so this is God speaking, if I say to the wicked, wicked, the wicked one, you will surely die. So if God's message is, wicked one, you will surely die. And by the way, is that God's message? Yes. God says the wages of sin is death. The wicked one, every sinner will die. So he says, if if that's my message, but you as the watchman, you as the one who, who has the capacity to share this, if you do not speak out and warn him about his way, then that wicked person will die for his iniquity. Yet I will hold you responsible for his blood. And so he says here to the watchman, if I give you the warning and I say the wicked will die and you don't warn them, then the wicked will die. Now they're not gonna die because of you, they're gonna die because of their own sin. But somehow their blood will be on your hands. What he says is you will be responsible for their death almost as if a murder, in the same way that a murderer is responsible for someone's death. If you don't share the good news, you share some responsibility in that. I will share responsibility. If my neighbor dies and goes to hell and I didn't take the opportunity to share with him the good news, if, if, if the person who lives down the hall from you in the dormitory, if the person who's one office or one cubicle over, if, if, if God has said that, that without Christ that people will die for eternity and, and we don't share the good news, then their blood is on our hands. Now, I don't want to add to the drama of that verse. It, it, it's sufficient for itself. But I want that to sink in. In order for us to obey the command, do not murder, means that we will share the good news every chance we get. Hey, I want to wrap this up by sharing with you uh, something of the best sermon I think ever preached on this commandment. Uh, So when I'm preparing a sermon, sometimes, not every time, but sometimes I'll go and um, uh, to my library and I'll read other sermons that have been preached on the same subject. And so, for instance, this week I read about a 30-year-old sermon by Adrian Rogers. Uh, Some of you know who that is, and uh, a great preacher of a a generation ago, and and I read his sermon on this. Very good sermon. He's sort of going in a different direction than I am, but a very good sermon. Then I I read another sermon by Greer, uh, which was about three years old, and also a great sermon. Again, a a little different direction than than what I'm going in, but I read those sermons, and they were an encouragement to me. But you know the best sermon? I think the best sermon on the Sixth Commandment was not preached 30 years ago or three years ago, but it was preached 2,000 years ago by the Apostle John. And the, the sermon's just two verses long, which I know you th- know that that makes it a great sermon, right? Because it's just so short. 
But it's a great sermon for other reasons as well. And so I just want to read to you his two-verse sermon on the sixth commandment. Listen to what the Apostle John says. 1 John 3, 15. John said, everyone who hates his brother or sister is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. So that's, that's his whole sermon, really. We'll get to the conclusion in a moment. But his sermon is, murder is wrong, but murder is not just violent bloodshed, but murder is not treating people as valuable because they've been created in the image of God. You hate people, you mistreat people. That is, that is a brother of the sin of murder because you're not valuing the image of God that is within them. So that's his sermon, good sermon, right? And then the next verse, I, I think, is the conclusion. Verse 16 says, this is how we come to know love. So he's going he's gonna to say, so he's given us the principle. Now he's going to show how it, how it works out in life. Here's how you recognize it. He, speaking of Jesus, laid down his life for us. We should also lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. So he says we ought to value the image of God in people. And then he's going to illustrate it. Just like I tried to illustrate it this morning with my life. He says, here's my illustration. His is better than mine. He said, Jesus, who was the son of God, who could do whatever he wanted to do, who had no obligation to do anything for us. Jesus so valued us, not because we're smart, not because we're wealthy, not, I mean, none of those things. He valued us because we've been created in the image of God and he so valued us that he died on the cross that we might be forgiven. If you don't know Christ as your savior, listen, you are valuable to God. You are of such value to God that Jesus died for you. And if you would like to become a, a, a son of God, a child of God, then today you can trust that what Jesus did for you is enough and that his death paid the penalty for your sins. And you can surrender to him and give your life to him and say, you're my master, my Lord, I want to follow you. And I am thankful and I trust what you've done for me. And the Bible says you will become a child of God. See, Jesus illustrated this when he died for us because we were valuable. Why were we valuable? Because of the image of God. And so it says that, but then it, right below that, this is what Jesus did. So you should lay down your lives for your brothers. So now we should value other people and we should be willing to pay any price to honor the value of God in them. Let me ask you to bow your head and close your eyes for a moment. Father, Thank you that you have created us and you have valued us like this. Help us to see this value in the lives of those around us. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me ask you to stand and sing. If you need to make a decision this morning, if you don't know Christ is your Savior, as we sing, you come and let us share with you privately here in the front.